Welcome into Two for One Drafts. Austin Gale here, the host of the Two for One Drafts podcast, a rookies and draft prospects podcast. Today, we got a really exciting episode on this Wednesday episode of Two for One, looking at college football prospects to preview in the week nine, week 10 of college football. The Pac 12 is back. Pac-12 is back. We're going to do a little Pac-12 after dark, some action on Wednesday. We're also going to do an NFL rookies and second-year players. I want to touch on some of the development of the second-year players in the NFL, a pre- preview of this Week 9 slate. And then to finish the podcast, we interviewed Peter Bukowski, who works primarily in the Green Bay Packers, covers the Green Bay Packers full-time, uh, is a host on Locked On Packers, the most successful Packers podcast, by the way. Gave a ton of insight in the Will Fuller trade that never ended up happening. Gave a ton of insight in the development of the young talent in Green Bay. Definitely encourage you to go watch, you know, listen to this podcast all the way through for the Peter Bukowski interview. And I got to remind you, before we jump into the show, this episode, or you know, two for one drafts, is brought to you by pristineauction.com. Check out their daily auctions with one dollar starting bids on over eight thousand football items up for auction: signed helmets, balls, jerseys, and much more. Pristine Auction guarantees authenticity on every product. Use code PFF for ten dollars off your first invoice. All right, let's get to the show. in studio with my guy Anthony Tresh here on the Wednesday episode of two for one drafts be hard not to ignore the elephant in the room obviously a very tense United States today with the election still ongoing I have one takeaway and this may divide some people Tresh I want to open with a takeaway here John King was absolutely in his bag last night on CNN. It was honestly one of the more impressive things I've ever seen a content creator do. Kept people engaged, constantly informed. I mean, this guy knows the working class in every single county in the United States. I think it was one of the more impressive things I saw last night. I know. I aspire to be John King, but yeah, (laughs) hopefully we um, get a nice little breakaway from Mm -hmm. all the discussion. We're just here to party, so hopefully we can uh, provide some positive insight. John King, not a single mistake on the board, handled the touchscreen with class, handled everything with class, made a handful of coffee jokes. Again, I'm not the only one who's shouting out John King on Twitter last night, but I have to commend the guy. I think distraction is the word a lot of like non-politics content creators are you know talking about right now, but distraction has that negative connotation. I think it's true. distraction. I was a distraction in fifth grade. You know, People said hey, in my report cards, hey, he's a distraction. Right now, it's a positive distraction. We're going to talk a little bit. And, um, rookies, some college football prospects. Let's go ahead and just get right into it starting with Maction Wednesday night by the time you're listening to this you might be watching some Maction there are no Mac players currently listed inside PFF's top 100 2021 NFL draft board which I encourage you all to check out on pff.com we're not going to touch on the Maction tonight I don't think there are a ton of prospect battles to watch Buffalo what, what is your take on Buffalo? Buffalo Taylor Riggins Malcolm Koontz I mean this team is Jared Patterson you've been on back? Buffalo's hype train since like 2016 you, you knew this you knew this coming out <laughs> Khalil Mack Ladarius Mack he hasn't panned out. He probably won't pan out in the NFL, but he was dominant in college. And then they have two, one of the best edge duos in college football. I know they play for Buffalo, but in college football, Jesus. Taylor Riggins, Malcolm Koontz. I'm all in on Buffalo. They're winning the MAC. Bet those futures. Bet those futures. Bet those futures. You yes. think Buffalo is winning the MAC? I think they're winning the MAC. Interesting. That's good to know. All right, for Thursday, Friday, it's going to be a little Mountain West action. Also, Miami at NC State. Starting with the Mountain West, our Aztecs, Trash. For those who don't know, San Diego State alum, class of 2017, go Aztecs. San Jose State is going to take on SDSU as nine and a half point dogs. The prospect to watch in this one, who is consistently cracked, you know, Mike Renner's top 100 on PFF.com, is Trey Walker, the wide receiver for San Jose State. A smaller receiver, plays a lot of outside there, gets a ton 
ton of volume, a ton of targets. I didn't come away super impressed with his tape in 2019. Uh, and in 2018, it was a little bit better. I'm interested to see how he looks this year because I think Trey Walker has an opportunity to be one of these depth pieces in what is a very deep 2021 receiving class. But I still need to see more from Trey Walker. You know, Mike Reiner says he's a good route runner, likes what he does, you know, likes what he, his ability to separate. But I still haven't seen it again against a ton of single coverage. Look, San Diego State is known for having a very, very tough secondary. They're playing well this year again. What is your opinion on Trey Walker and preview this game for me? I love Trey Walker. I think his body control is remarkable. I mean, he had some beautiful back shoulders last year, last week. PFF play of the week on another back shoulder in the end zone toe tapper. I think I'm with Mike Renner. I think he's one of the most underrated receivers in college football. I believe he came in 12th in our wide receiver college football wide receiver rankings that drops um, on Wednesday. And I'm, I kind of like Nick Starkle. You know, he, he has kind of brought back, you know, back in uh, 2017 with Texas A&M showed some flashes kind of tailed off. There was absolutely terrible for Arkansas last year. Um, I was still optimistic in him when we ranked all 130 FBS quarterbacks because the competition is significantly lower mm-hmm. in the Mountain West than it is. Jesus, in, you didn't have to SEC. emphasize significantly, okay? You're talking to a San Diego State <laughs> know, alum. You're, you're can, can, you, can you be nice to us here? I know, but uh, I like Nick Starkle, 82.8 PFF grade through two games. But yeah, San Jose State, they were loving the uh, PFF team of the week last week. We talked about it on Monday. Your Aztecs with three offensive linemen on there. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I kind of like the Aztecs. Yep. All right. Another game on that uh, that Thursday, Friday slate is BYU at Boise State. Boise State only uh, three point dogs in that game. BYU only favored by three. Uh, the two prospects to know in that game and for every BYU game moving forward is Zach Wilson, the quarterback who I think is the favorite for the quarterback four spot in the 2021 NFL draft. That's behind Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, and obviously Trey Lance of North Dakota State. But the other prospect I think you have to consistently bring up with BYU now is Brady Christensen, the tackle who is grading up there with the best in football right now. What is your opinion of those two prospects and what kind of challenges they face against Boise State? So I think this game has the potential to be the most impactful regular season game in college football this year for the 2021 NFL draft. Okay, Trash. So. Okay, John King. I'm just saying. I like it. I'm just saying because um, so Boise State – you know, entering the year, we, we all penciled this game in after Zach Wilson was going through and just wrecking this lower competition, saying this was going to be the game we find out who he really is. And Boise State's looking a little bit better than we even thought. They are easily a top 25 uh, team in college football, six in EPA per play allowed on defense. And then if Jack Sears plays, he looked exceptional last week. You know, he peppered uh, Air Force downfield, just won a catchable ball all game long. I think this could be a shootout. And if Zach Wilson you know, takes care of this defense like he has been with all this lower competition, I think he is going to kind of solidify himself in that quarterback four spot. And I, I don't know, maybe does he does he challenge Trey Lance for that quarterback three spot? Maybe. You think he can challenge Trey Lance for the quarterback three spot? My problem there is the reason Trey Lance is quarterback three is are things that can't change. They're the they're, it's the athleticism and it's the obviously the arm talent. You talk to Daniel Jeremiah, which I think we talked before the season, he's debating putting Trey Lance's quarterback two for those reasons alone. Like he sees Trey Lance's arm talent and his athleticism, his raw ability as some of the best we've seen coming out of North of North Dakota State of any college football player. And I think that for those reasons, like if it were a sample size thing for production, whatever, maybe it'd be that. But the arm talent's not going away. If you're going to put Zach Wilson ahead of Trey Lance, you're going to you're doubting the things that you just already knew about Trey Lance. I think Zach Wilson will stay in that QB four. I think Trey Lance remains at QB three. But it'll be interesting to see uh, that game. Some good stuff to watch on Friday before the Saturday slate. Uh, last game I want to mention on the Thursday Friday slate is Miami at NC State. NC State does not have a um, 
single player in PFS top 100 right now, but Miami does. And Brevin Jordan, the tight end, and Quincy Roche, the edge defender. Gregory Rousseau, obviously a top 20 player as well, but he has opted out for the 2020 season. Start with Brevin Jordan for me. I've been saying for a while now, a couple months, that this tight end class is very good because we're talking about Kyle Pitts, Pat Fryermuth, Charlie Kolar of Iowa State. But Brevin Jordan's another guy in this list that I feel really good about being a piece in the NFL, an actual tight end that can start in the NFL. Yeah, I, I've had I had higher expectations for Brevin, Brevin Jordan, but through four games, he's kind of underwhelmed just a little bit. 62.3 PFF grade. I thought he would be, you know, challenging for that number one tight end spot. I mean, he's a great athlete, but I mean, that's Kyle Pitts now. And I think you have to say Pat Fryermuth right there at number two. So I'm a little disappointed with this season, especially with De'Ara King there. Um, you know, back in week three, had an incredible game against Louisville. 120 yards receiving, 76.2 receiving grade. I thought we would see consistent consistently that brevin jordan but uh quincy roche i've been very impressed with him um you know last year at temple we all know one of the highest graded pass rushers in college football this year he hasn't been able to completely match that same production the ridiculous production 93.3 pass rush grade in 2019 at temple but he's been consistent consistently getting after the quarterback week in and week out for miami and i think that's that bodes very well for his nfl future i wanted to and i apologize but i'm jumping back to zach wilson just for a second and he is not he is the highest graded quarterback in college football right now he jumped ahead of trevor lawrence uh in, in recent weeks and also from an actually perspective which pff charts ball location and actually at the collegiate level and the nfl level zach wilson ranks inside the top 15 in actually percentage according to pff i think the accuracy him being ranking high there while having the arm talent and the mobile you know the mobile athleticism again i think qb4 might be a lot for this kid I a lot of people really like him coming out of BYU that's why I think he might challenge for that quarterback three spot maybe I do not maybe I'm wrong there I I everyone is you know the biggest criticism on uh Zach Wilson is the level of competition we're not talking about that when it comes to Trey Lance and he's not doing well as a as a passer mm-hmm. I mean, against Central Arkansas he looked really bad as a passer you could see the arm talent yeah you could see his athleticism on the ground but I at this point if Zach Wilson continues to do this against Boise State, I want to take what I've seen on the college field. Zach mm-hmm. Wilson has proved what he can do, and you know you can't can't change really accuracy. When we saw him make the jump from last year to this year significantly, you can kind of attribute some of that to the injuries he had. So, I, I think I would lean Zach Wilson if he dominates Boise State. Like all you're saying is let's have the conversation. It wasn't a conversation exactly. two weeks ago, three weeks ago. Let's have the conversation. Maybe I am willing to have that conversation. All right. Sorry to you know jump at, back from the Brevin Jordan, right. Quincy Roche talk, but I think watching that game, NC State, 10.5-point dogs. Also, Derek King, hashtag fun to watch. One of those fun players to watch in college football right now. Always, always a treat there on Friday night. Moving to Saturday, opening up with this. I think UNC – is must-watch football in the ACC for the prospect potential they do have. UNC goes against Duke. Uh, they're 11-point favorites there. Sam Howell, an underclassman a lot of people like. Diami Brown, Daz Newsom, two receivers we've talked about on this podcast a ton. But I want to open the conversation with this. These running backs in, <laughs> at UNC are insane. Michael Carter and Javante Williams are two of the highest-graded running backs in college football. Javante Williams' force miss tackle rate? What does he have, 45 broken tackles on, what, 96 carries? This guy has been insane. I, I, what's your opinion of these two backs? Yeah, I mean, going back to even last season, these were two of my favorite running backs. We had them as a top 10 backfield in the PFF College Magazine. They were almost, both of them, each of them were almost top 10 running backs overall in all of college football, but they've been even better than I thought they would be. I mean, they, you know, you're talking about Derek King, hashtag fun to watch. These two are because some of the cuts they're making, I mean, it's, uh, it, it is incredible. Sometimes it kind of frustrates me because I think North Carolina, especially early on, they knew what they had there and they were just force feeding these guys just constantly, just shoving the ball down their throats, telling them to go make big plays, not letting Sam Howell do his best work with his arm. But 
that's not to say that they're not extremely good at what they do. Um, but I, I want to see Sam Howell continue to air it out, get Daz Newsome involved with Diami Brown. I want both of them involved because they have the potential to be the number one deep passing attack in college football. But I, I think they should have their way with this Duke defense, even though Chris Rumps there. I mean, he's starting to heat up over the last few games, but man, that they, they're just, they have not performed well at all whatsoever on either side of the ball, especially Chase Bryce, man. I had higher hopes for him. He looked good in garbage time, and I probably overvalued that garbage time at Clemson just a little bit because right now he's one of the lower-graded quarterbacks in the ACC. Javante Williams, five foot 10, 220 pounds, exactly how you want the running back position, Bill. His PFF grade has improved every single year of his collegiate career up to a 93.0 PFF grade this year. And to talk about his forced missed tackle rate, he has 45 missed tackles forced on 95 carries. That's a .47 forced missed tackles per touch or per carry count. That leads all of college football. Ahead of guys that are drawing Heisman interest. I always bring this up. Tank Bigsby of Auburn, the true freshman there. And Michael Carter, too. .33 forced missed tackle right there for Michael Carter. That ranks tied for seventh in college football. Those two backs are forcing missed tackles with reckless advantage. Javante Williams, the better of the two. Uh, Jumping next now to Michigan versus Indiana. Another team that I feel like Regardless of who they're playing, you're probably going to have to turn on the game because they do have a lot of prospect potential in Michigan. But also, I, I, I need to kick it to you to start here. Michael Penix Jr., one of the top three graded passers, I think, in the Big Ten right now, had that big you know, upset win over Penn State. Where are you with Penix Jr. right now? I think he's good. I think he'll be a, he's a fringe top 10 quarterback in the FBS right now. Wow. He showed it last year, and it was a little ugly to start that very first game against Penn State. I'm not going to lie. It was kind of boom or bust. One one throw perfectly placed. The other would be completely errant. And what really, what really impressed me, we talked about it after that game, was how he fared under pressure in that final drive. He led him to victory. And Jason Owe and Shaka Tony in his face every single play. And the dude was getting absolutely wrecked. I mean, these offensive tackles, to kind of uh, put it in you and uh, Dr. Eric Eager's words, kind of cheeks. They're dead last <laughs> in pass block grade in the FBS right now. They've allowed eight sacks and hits in two games. That's not good. Mm-hmm. But he's still producing at a high level. We saw that last week against Rutgers. I mean, the dude has an incredible arm talent there. I, I think he is the next best thing. I mean, last year, I, I always said that everything that you want the quarterback position, he showed. I mean, his pocket presence, his accuracy, his arm strength, his mobility – you name it. We saw the mobility on that last play against Penn State that won him the game on that two-point conversion. So I think he is the real deal. I, I think the play calling could be a little bit better because we're seeing it. We saw it in the Penn State game. We saw it last week in that first quarter. It was so conservative. You have to let him do what he does best, kind of like Sam Howell. Mm-hmm. Let him air it out. Let him throw the ball downfield because he's been pinpoint accurate over the course of his whole career, not looking at just that Penn State game. And you're an Indiana guy. You're from Indiana. Or do you, do you, do you have rooting interest in the Hoosiers? I mean, I, I love all Indiana teams. I'll root for Purdue. I'll wear a Purdue <laughs> shirt any day of the week. I'll wear an IU shirt, Notre Dame. Purdue's Butler, got good branding. I, I like their colors. I like what they do there. Yeah, I do. It, it's a good campus, too. But, no, I, I really do think he is legit. Um the defense, I, I really like what Tom Allen is doing with the defense. You know, it's very diverse. You know, they were talking about how they disguise stuff. They have, I believe it's under 25% they do, uh, on every single coverage. So they're very diverse. I like what they're doing. That kind of makes me nervous, though, because they don't have a lot of, you know, significantly talented pieces besides Tywin Mullen, little brother of your Las Vegas Raiders, Trayvon Mullen, and little cousin of Lamar Jackson. He is going to be a stud, too. But um, it, it's going to be interesting to see how Michael Penix fares with uh, – 
Quipe and Aiden Hutchinson because I think those two are going to have, you know, Jason Owe, Shaka Tony type of monster days against yeah. these Indiana offensive tackles. So Michael Penix Jr., a former dual threat quarterback, uh, a three-star recruit, six foot three, 218 pounds, has an 89.2 PFF grade so far this year and has been, you know, like you said, really impressive uh, so far. And I think a guy to watch in this game. I think the, the, the battle, though, is the one you mentioned. Aiden Hutchinson and Quidipe, two draftable edge defenders. Quidipe could go in the first round, I think early in the first round, if he does run that three-cone that he's supposed to run, like sub 6-5 or something ridiculous. Are they going to get rid of the three-cone, though? <laughs> Maybe they get rid of the three-cone. Who knows? But the two tackles to name, Matthew Bedford and Caleb Jones, have earned sub 30.0 PFF pass-blocking grades so far this year in the Big Ten. I think it could be ugly for Phoenix Jr. with Bedford and Caleb Jones going against a very good edge defender duo there at Michigan. Pac-12 is back. That's the next game we're going. ASU versus USC. Uh, the Sun Devils taking on the Trojans. First, you know, two names to bring up here are two top 60 players on PFF's big board, both playing for USC. Amon Ra, St. Brown, and Elijah Vera Tucker, the guard for USC. Of those two prospects, who are you higher on? Obviously, Mike Renner, big fan of Amon Ra, St. Brown. Who do you like of those two? Elijah Vera Tucker, 100%. And I think he's going to play left tackle for him this year. I think he's going to kick over. It's not verified, but I love this man. He was the second highest graded power five guard in 2019 in pass protection. Only lost four of 121 true pass sets. Um, you know, uh, Mike said in the draft guide, which is great. I highly recommend you check that out at pff.com. He's got a lot of great nugs in there. Uh, he wins with consistency, not flash. So that's why I think we're kind of you know underrating him a little bit. I like him on Ross St. Brown potential. We think he's going to be a big breakout candidate. He made our top 25 wide receivers for that reason. Um, but I, I like Elijah Vera Tucker more, but I'm also high on Tyler Vons, mm-hmm. that wide receiver. Incredible ball skills. I mean, he's had so many highlight reel snags at the uh, the, the uh, sideline there. Ken Slovis, too. 2022, number one overall pick. Book it. I'm, I'm telling you. <laughs> number Book one it. overall pick. Yes. Wow. Like, this guy's a stud. Kurt Warner worked with him in high school. He's his quarterback's coach. Came in immediately. The way he maneuvered the pocket and made plays, the long developing plays, was incredible. 90.1 PFF passing grade on throws that took three seconds after the snap to pass. That's higher than any other quarter, returning quarterback by seven grading points. Wow. They, I think he could, if he cracks down on the fumbles and kind of, there's a few different times he locked in on that first read and fired it right in there, didn't even see defender break on the ball, gave him an interceptable ball. Those are two, two kind of things that um, you, you kind of see true freshman struggle with. 93rd in turnover worthy play rate, but the accuracy, it is stupid. Accuracy is king. He was the only one to challenge Joe Burrow last year in mm-hmm. that category. I think Ken Slovis going to be a star, 2022, number one overall pick. Man, you are, you're dropping the taste here, Josh. You're, you're, you're bringing the heat. I'm uh, feeling it. I had a lot of coffee this morning. <laughs> Elijah Vera Tucker, if he does kick out to uh, left tackle, I think that'd be good for his stock. Need to show that positional versatility. But also, with Amon Ross St. Brown, I know you kind of shit on him a little bit, for lack of a better word. Because, no, I you know, you, no, I didn't I did not shit. If you like Vera Tucker over Brown, that's fine. Brown, I will say this. The concern is that he has not played a ton of outside receiver. He's had, what, 749 snaps in the slot in 2019, played even more slot in the year prior. Like, you just haven't seen him do it against single coverage contact. Concepts, but he is that freaky athlete. He's a St. Brown brother. Equinemia St. Brown, Amon Ross St. Brown. You watch the documentary. Those guys are freaks, literally built different. You, you hear their parents say, you know, their, their diet and what they were doing as a workout regimen, all that stuff. He is a freakish athlete. And I think that's what those traits are what you bank on a six foot one, 195 pounder. If he can play some outside receiver this year and show it against single coverage, I think you could start to get excited. However, I'm not taking this guy in the first round until I see it 
over and over again against top flight cornerbacks. And I just don't think you will. Not in the Pac-12. Not against who they got this year. I think Amon Ross St. Brown is a better piece to bet on on day two. Maybe developing better than what Equanimia St. Brown has done for the Green Bay Packers. But it's not something I really want to swing the bat on in the first round. From what I've seen so far, that could change. But from what I've seen so far, I don't think he's a day one selection. Well, when you bring up Equanimia, it kind of gets me scared. I would rather not associate (laughs) Amonra with Equanimia. But also, three names to watch. Arizona State, I really like. Ashari Crosswell, Jermaine Lowell. Little uh, scheme tweak on the defensive line. Going to switch to three-tech. He played really well at three-tech, not on the edge last year. I think he's going to have a breakout year. Frank Darby, the wide receiver. If Jaden Daniels was accurate, this guy would be considered one of the best wide receivers in college football. But sadly, Jaden Daniels is not accurate. (laughs) Cannot produce big-time throws down the field, but he's a huge... Uh, big time deep threat there and can get off press with these telling you I, I didn't love Darby's tape actually really uh, some people are really high on Darby I watched his 2019 tape I wasn't a big fan watched all of his targets I do agree that you know he, there were some missed, uh, missed targets down the field I'm interested to see more tape of him this upcoming season Florida versus Georgia next game we're pivoting to the SEC Georgia favored by three and a half it starts with edge defenders here and then the defensive backs is where I'd like to start Aziz Ojulari is, is playing out of his mind this year, grading as one of the better edge defenders in college football. And Brenton Cox Jr. has shown some juice for Florida along the edge, one of the better defensive players for Florida this year. Uh, what has been your opinion of those two? And, and probably start with Ojulari. Yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to Aziz Ojulari in this one because I think he and a lot of other pieces on this Georgia pass rush, Kirby Smart's going to have him getting after Kyle Trask. And I, I, I'm looking forward to seeing that pass rush go to work, but I'm more looking forward to seeing how Trask handles that pass rush because Kirby Smart's a defensive mastermind there. I think, you know, he's been exceptional. I'm kind of pivoting the conversation here, but the, this, is the, this is my key thing in this game. You know, he's converting pressure to sacks at an astronomically low rate, Trask that is, well, far lower than we've seen him last year, 9.8% right now, which is the second best in the SEC. He's keeping his eyes downfield, uh, when under pressure, maneuvering the pocket well. But he's still kind of making those those little rash decisions that you would just kind of shake your head at mm-hmm. when under duress that we saw a lot last year. So I'm I think this is the the game we find out who Kyle Trask really is. And it, I think I think next week I'll be able to say whether or not I was right or wrong on Kyle Trask based off wow. of this game alone because of this Georgia defense because it's one of the best if not the best in college football. Um, we saw what they did to Bo Nix a few weeks ago. I mean they they destroyed Bo Nix. Um, so I, I think this is going to be a really key game for Kyle Trask. Also, Brayton Cox, you mentioned. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing him go up against Jamari Salyer. I had higher hopes for Salyer. I thought he was going to be a huge breakout guy, possibly one of the best tackles in the uh, SEC, but he hasn't quite uh, been that in pass protection. So I think it could be a big game for Brayton Cox. Yeah, I'm excited for Brenton Cox to, to look at Aziz Ojolari, who's kind of been a breakout candidate this year. Six foot three, 240 pounds, has earned an 86.0 PFF grade and an 85.8 uh, PFF pass rushing grade. Already 21 total pressures on the year. Grade significantly improved uh, from his 2019 season. Excited for him to go uh, in this game. A couple more names I'll mention. We've got to move a little bit quickly here, look at some other games. But in the secondary, there's some talent. Tyson Campbell, what former five-star recruit there at Georgia who has had some success against some big-name receivers. Kyrie Elam, the Florida cornerback that we highlighted as a breakout candidate, a guy that I think is grading above 70 right now. And Eric Stokes Jr., who, former track athlete, has the speed. But I'm telling you, man, these Georgia defensive backs coach coach these guys to bully dudes down the field. And he gets caught with a lot of defensive pass interferences despite having better speed and maybe enough speed to to stick with these guys downfield. I'd like to see him 
use his hands less. I, I think he can match and mirror and be sticky without using his hands. Eric Stokes Jr. was a guy I liked, but the more I watch this tape, the more I feel like he's relying on his hands, and that's just that didn't pan out for DeAndre Baker, and I mean for other reasons too. But I don't think you can get away with what Georgia gets away with, specifically at the cornerback position in the NFL. Excited to see more tape on him. Obviously, Florida loaded on the offensive side of the ball. We've talked about Kadarius Tony, Kyle Pitts, and Trask ad nauseum. Uh, should be a fun one to watch. Uh, Georgia again, only favored by three and a half in that game. Quite the opposite. Um, uh, line here osu versus rutgers i mean what ohio state's favored by 28 in this game somewhere around that along that line but similar to michigan similar to unc i think they're, they're must watch football every single week if you are a big nfl draft fan for the reasons that chris olave potential first rounder garrett wilson not eligible for this draft but maybe a future first rounder i love what this guy's putting on tape and also sean wade a guy we talked about a ton on last week uh, on monday's podcast yeah, I think Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson are going to have huge games this weekend because Rutgers plays a lot of press man. I think they're going to have their way with that secondary. <laughs> For me personally, with Sean Wade's not going to face a tough set of wide receivers anymore the rest of the season. I, I'm not valuing the rest of his Big Ten slate unless it's either really, really good or really, really bad. I'm looking forward to that college football playoff. Hopefully we see him against those Bama wide receivers. I think we're going to find out a lot about Sean Wade then. I don't know if you kind of feel the same way like how much are you how much are you valuing the I mean this type of game for Sean Wade and just really the rest of the season because they Big Ten has some good receivers but they're not facing any of them yeah I mean I think for Sean Wade the production is going to be interesting this year I mean you did not see a good game for him against Penn State he allowed the inside release a little bit too easy against Jahan Dotson got bullied at the catch point I, I I've admitted it on the Monday po- podcast I thought the one-handed catch by Dotson was a bit of an OPI but still Wade is going to make his money at the combine and with the freaking logo on his helmet. That's how Sean Wade is going to be valued in this class. I'm telling you that right now. I also think he should he could get an invite to the Senior Bowl, uh, permitting that we do have one in 2021. I think Sean Wade, there, there's a chance that he runs a fast 40. There's a chance he cuts it up on the three cone. You just haven't seen the production, though, at outside corner. I don't think you will if Ohio State makes the playoff. And I know we talked about this before the uh, before we started the, the podcast episode here if he goes against Alabama and you can see him against Devontae Smith and obviously you won't see him against Jalen Waddle, but even John Mechie, I think that would be a very telling performance for him because if he can stick with those guys, you could start to feel a little bit more confident. From what I've seen, I don't know if he does, but I think that would be a very big game to circle on your calendars if Ohio State does get the opportunity to play Alabama in the college football playoff. All right, last game on the college slate, then we'll pivot to the NFL. It's the game of the week. It's a monster game on NBC. It was supposed to be a bigger game with Trevor Lawrence playing, but he will not be in due to COVID. I, I don't know how to pronounce the new quarterback, Clemson's quarterback's last name, but I'll call him DJ. True freshman, he'll be going against Notre Dame. Notre Dame, only five and a half point dogs. I think this one could be a blowout. I'm ready to back up the Brinks truck and bet on DJ, Travis Etienne, and Clemson. Am I wrong to think that? Am I wrong to think that Ian Book and Notre Dame can't keep this close? Yeah, I mean, well, uh, Seth decided that we're referring to DJ kind of like Madonna, Beyonce. It's a one-name <laughs> basis with him because of that last name. But I th- I'm siding with you because I do not trust Ian Book with the ball in his hands at all whatsoever. The off the passing attack has been efficient, but when he's throwing downfield, it's been ugly. And the, he has the best offensive line in college football, has not been able to take advantage of it. So I think I, I'm, I would roll with Clemson in this one by by quite a bit. Yeah, I've talked to George Tahuri, who, in addition to working as the content director here at PFF, does a ton of things for NBC, Sunday Night Football, and obviously this game on NBC. They go through a lot of information, a lot of data and packets sent to these broadcasters, and he says every single page 
you know, Ian Book does not look like the quarterback that's going to be able to cover the spread. I do not think Notre Dame covers the spread. It's going to be interesting to see where this number ends up. You're probably going to see a lot of betting on Saturday, but it's at five and a half right now. Consider that while we move forward. Some prospects to name here, the entire Notre Dame offensive line, including Liam Eikenberg, the left tackle. Tommy Tremble, I don't know how much of Tremble you've watched, the tight end there for Notre Dame. I think he has some juice. Again, I talk about this tight end class highly. I think Tremble's another name that day two, day three, is, is worth a flyer. I don't and, talk about run blocking much with tight ends, but his run blocking is good. It's, and it's and he's got good feet. I, I think he's got good hands. He's got good functional strength. Like Tommy Tremble also makes plays after the catch. Uh, a name to watch there for Notre Dame, the tight end. And then on the Clemson side, you obviously have Travis Etienne, Jackson Carmen, uh, two, uh, two names that a lot of people have talked about for Clemson. And defensively, the Joker, Jeremiah Wusu Koromoa. Kyle Hamilton, who's an underclassman, but a stud when he, when he is healthy. And then on Clemson's side, the secondary. Darion Kendrick, Mike Jones Jr., Andrew Booth Jr. Not all draft eligible, but those guys, very, very talented on the back end. I know you're a huge fan of Clemson's secondary. Yeah, Darion Kendrick. I'm looking a little bit for a bounce-back game. Gave up one big touchdown last week. So I want him to see. I think he's going to put the clamps on again this week, like we saw the first few weeks of the year. Um, you know, he's he's pretty high on our big board right now. I think he's going to have a performance that sticks him there, and I think he'll have that for the rest of the year. All right, that's it for the college football slate. I mean, this, this sounds like a really good week. I don't know mm-hmm. what you're doing Saturday, but we might have to get together because I think there's a lot of fun Ooh. games to watch, uh, get it done at the studio like apartment there. Um, moving to the NFL, Thursday night game, Packers at 49ers. There's a couple players I wanted to bring up. Brandon Ayuk going against the Green Bay secondary, including Jair Alexander, who is PFF's highest graded cornerback in the NFL right now. And second year player Elton Jenkins for the Green Bay Packers, who has developed into one of the better you know, young offensive linemen in the NFL right now. Isn't having quite the season he had last year, but still a very stable piece for Green Bay. Start with Brandon Ayuk. Do you think he has a back-to-back, you know, back-to-back weeks of impressive performance, especially with George Kittle out now? George Kittle out. The targets have to go somewhere. Dante Pettis released the former second-round pick out of Washington. I think Ayuk could start to see eight-plus targets a game, maybe get into that 10-target conversation. Fantasy community getting a little excited. I'm starting to get interested. What's your take on Brandon Ayuk? For sure. I, I, I like that. I'm sure we'll probably have the, the prop king on Sunday. George, oh, uh, George man, Shahari, the prop getting king. Getting some Brandon Ayuk props in there, the overs. But, yeah, I agree. He's been um, – I was not expecting much from him. He's definitely surprised me. Uh, but, yeah, I agree. I think he's going to be – with all the injuries, he's going to be the featured guy in this offense. I mean, you might as well at this point. I'm Because, I, I, I don't know. I, I'm curious to see, you know, how the 49ers really feel about their team moving forward right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, everyone – so I feel like it's been a very big trend, and this is a little bit of a tangent, a trend in the NFL right now for fan bases on teams where they're starting to lose early in the season. It's like, oh, we got to tank. We got to tank. We got to tank. Oh, Atlanta needs to tank for Trevor. New England needs to tank for Trevor. San Francisco, oh, man, Jimmy G and Kittle's out. We need to tank. Okay, if everyone's tanking, no one's tanking. You know, at a certain point, like, you're not not everyone's going to be able to tank for the first or second overall pick. And if you're not picking there, you're in a tier below in quarterbacks, in my opinion. I think even Justin Fields might be a little bit of a tier below Trevor Lawrence. You, you, you know, the, the San Francisco 49ers are not in a position to tank and get a you know, top flight quarterback in this class. I think you're going to see three quarterbacks go in the top five and you could see four go in the top 10. That's how good this class is. If you can't get inside those picks, you're going to have to trade up a ton. The price is going to be huge to trade up in this class, too, because of the quarterback position who's available. I'm really interested to see. Um, how it pans out but you just can't tank and I know the San Francisco 49ers aren't going to tank I think they're not going to play great football down the stretch could sneak in as the seventh seed in the NFC we'll see how it goes um Elton Jenkins going to bring him up here six foot five 311 pounds the second year guard out of Mississippi State has a 67.4 overall grade so far this year playing well specifically in pass protection a 74.9 pass blocking grade for Elton Jenkins all right jumping to Seahawks Bills there's only one name I want to bring up 
one matchup I want to bring up, and it's DK Metcalf. You call him a top five receiver on the Monday show, the second year receiver out of Ole Miss. He's taking over the NFL. He's taking over Instagram. He's taking over TikTok. TikTokers, the average age on TikTok is like, what, 11? Your kind of audience? DK Metcalf is everyone's favorite football player right now. Can he get it done against Trey White? Do you continue to see him roll? Yes, I think he gets it done against every single cornerback in the NFL. He's that good. (laughs) I thought you were going to say Ed Oliver versus uh, Damian Lewis in there, which I think could be a bad matchup for the rookie. Yeah, I think think Lewis might might lose that one. Ed Oliver's been good this year. I've been impressed. The pass rushing has been uh, on point the last couple of weeks. But yeah, I think DK Metcalf, he's going to have his way here. You know, last couple, the couple weeks ago didn't have the best of games, but I think this time around, yeah, I'm taking him. You know, George Jury said it, wide receiver one in a redraft. I'm right there with him. Man, uh, Bills, uh, two and a half point dogs at home against Seattle and DK Metcalf, the engine for the Seattle Seahawks. All right, Panthers at Chiefs. Chiefs favored by 10 and a half. Brian Burns. I think is the highest graded second year defensive player in the NFL. And one of the highest graded edge defenders in the NFL has really shined as a pass rusher, but it's been in bursts. It has not been a pass rush win rate type of success for him. Um, like similar to what uh, TJ Watt has done or what Miles Garrett has done. He has not been consistently dominant, but when he wins, he's been winning emphatically strip sacks, clear wins on the edge. I've been a huge fan of Brian Burns. I think he's that change of pace edge defender you want. Peter Bukowski speaks to that in the interview later. He has speed off the edge that puts offensive tackles in a bind. Really excited to see him go against Eric Fisher, uh, Eric Fisher and Mitchell Schwartz. Um, what has been your opinion of Brian Burns' season so far this year? Are you on the hype train that is Brian Burns? You know, I am. I Before the season, I was not at all whatsoever. But, man, you know, I th- what was it last week? You're talking about the spin move he had on Donovan Smith. That's been my, one of my favorite plays this year. Last week we saw he's putting offensive tackles in the spin cycle. I think he had three. <laughs> his spin move is his calling card. That's his counter. He doesn't wins. have a bull counter. He doesn't have a speed to power. His counter to the speed is the spin, and it works. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I, I don't think he's on that – even remotely close to that TJ Watt level. I think he's a clear, you know, second-tier pass rusher right now. But 90.6 pass rush grade through eight games, that's pretty good for a second-year guy. And you mentioned it is coming through strip sack, so it's kind of weighted with that, you know, three forced fumbles on the year. But I, I've been really impressed for, despite that, assuming, like, he didn't force those fumbles and he, those were just, you know, basic pressures. I have still, he still exceeded ex- my expectations. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is another name to mention, specifically for the fantasy community. Uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire RB1 season is over. RB2 season in fantasy might even be over. He's not seeing the snap rate since Le'Veon Bell came over. I think his snap rate since Le'Veon Bell has been signed is, what, under 40%, might be under 45% is a better number there. Had a really strong start to the season. Is still forcing missed tackles at a high rate compared to other backs, but I still don't see him now with Le'Veon Bell added to the mix being this feature piece in Kansas City. Are they wrong to be giving Le'Veon Bell the carries and the lion's share of the t- uh, the snaps? They were wrong to take Clyde Edwards-Hilaire in the first round to begin with. I mean, why would... Hey, why would you do this? I mean, you you kind of just going against what you what you did and what you committed to. Kind of, I, I think we're gonna again look back on this and think it was kind of. I like Clyde Edwards Hilaire. I think he's you know a phenomenal. We talked about this. You know, if you're playing running back in the NFL, you're obviously a stupid athlete. You're really good at what you do. But I think we're going to look back at this down the road and say this was kind of a wasted draft pick. I mean, I had a conversation. I was on a Kansas City radio, Radiohead. I do it weekly. Um, he was talking about well, I'd rather have Clyde Edwards Hilaire. Because he's performing well. You compare it to the cornerback class, even the linebackers are not grading well, making mistakes. I was like, buddy, you're not you're not just drafting for this year and 
you have to think about the positional value and, and where if Clyde Edwards-Helaire is even a top 15 running back over the, over the course of his rookie contract, the Panthers are getting that from Mike Davis. The, the, the Seahawks are getting that from DJ Dallas. Like you're going to get it from other positions. You're better off swinging the bat on a high-octane athlete at a position of high value. Corner, wide receiver, even backup quarterback at this point, it can be more valuable than the running back position. I still think Clyde Edwards-Helaire is a good running back. We had the take on the Monday episode. All the running backs in the NFL are very good. Some of the worst ones are just a little bit long in the tooth. And Todd Gurley, <laughs> Ezekiel Elliott is one you mentioned on the Monday episode. Uh, Adrian Peterson, Frank Gore. The guys that are playing well right now are the ones with juice. Brian Hill showing juice in Atlanta. DJ Dallas for Seattle. Uh, Justin Jackson in Los Angeles. Mike Davis, a little bit long in the tooth, but still, he's performing well for Carolina. All right, Lions at Vikings. Wanted to preview this game. Um, Vikings favored by four. A lot of rookies in this one. Jeffrey Okuda. Cameron Dancer, if he's healthy, and Jeff Gladney, uh, all rookie cornerbacks that will play in this game. And then Justin Jefferson, one of the highest graded receivers in football. Didn't have a great week this past week. Could have a bounce back week against a, you know what has been an underperforming Detroit Lions defense. Let's start there. Where do you see Justin Jefferson ending up? What's the stat line this week? Yeah, I didn't think he had a great game last week because of Kirk Cousins. I mean, they're Fair. Kind and of, they didn't kind throw the ball a ton. Yeah, a little limited there. But I think, uh, I think Justin Jefferson's going to put up big numbers. You know, he had... In uh, weeks three, four, and six, if I recall correctly, he had three of the be- eight best single games we've ever recorded by a rookie wide receiver. I think he might even have another game like that against you know this Detroit secondary. And I'm kind of nervous for Jeff Akuda going up these types of route runners. We saw what you know Devontae Adams did to him. You know, I know that was his first game, but it, I mean, I think it's going to be. Um, I, th- I think these Minnesota receivers are going to have a big game. Um. Cameron Dancer and Jeff Gladney. Dancer, I think, is coming off the COVID list or um, an injury if they both play in this game. Just excited to see more tape. Cameron Dancer, I think, has allowed more yards per coverage snap than any cornerback in the NFL so far this season. I think you'd like to see him bounce back. And Jeff Gladney, well, I think he's played well in run support. He's shown that same tenacity that he showed at TCU. Is still struggling a bit against some of the better receivers in the NFL. But that is a broken record for the rookie corners in the NFL right now. Uh, Chicago Bears at Tennessee Titans is the next game we'll preview. Titans favored by five and a half at home. Jalen Johnson, another rookie cornerback that um, has been playing surprisingly well compared to some of the other guys, has played well for Chicago, going against A.J. Brown and Corey Davis. How do you see this matchup faring? Yeah, I'm I'm really, really excited about this because two of my favorite, I mean, one of my favorite young cornerbacks and one of my favorite young wide receivers, Jalen Johnson, A.J. Brown, they're, they're going to be matched up more than uh, any in this one um you know i i really think Jalen johnson's gonna be I, I mentioned it on monday i think he might be the best cornerback in this draft class and when we look back on it in a few years um he's had incredible ball production you know like what we saw at utah and you know it's kind of goes back to you know i remember you interviewing him talking about his tape study and how much he watches tape and his instincts and we'll we'll talk about it a little bit later with peter you know how much do you want to be great i mean this guy wants to be the best you can tell uh, so I, I think Jalen Johnson is going to be a stud down the road, and I think he will be in this one. It's going to be tough for him. It's going to be really tough. It's hard for me to say which one's going to come on top because I love them both a lot. But I think Jalen Johnson's going going to um, ha- mostly have the wins in this one against AJ Brown. Yeah, Jalen Johnson. I would encourage you to go back and, and check out that episode of Two Four Drafts. Also interviewed him on social. Um, Dude's a stud. Dude's a very, very a tape grinder in every sense of the word. Very coverage versatile in the schemes he can play, and he's showing that. And I think that has been super important 
for the rookies that are performing well, guys that did study a ton of tape, that didn't completely rely on their athleticism because in the NFL, it gets a lot faster. The game gets more confusing, more complex, more diverse from a scheme, schematic standpoint. Jalen Johnson was ready for that, and he was, and he's shown that for Chicago. Another name I want to mention in this game, a second-year player that we didn't see a ton of as a rookie, is Jeffrey Simmons, the defensive tackle that I think uh, fell in the draft largely due to an injury um, coming out in 2019, still ended up being a first-round pick at 19th overall. Um, so far this year, an 81.8 PFF grade, dominated against Minnesota's weak interior offensive line, had seven pressures in that game, and has 18 pressures on the year. Interested to see him go against Chicago, who, is, who themselves have a very bad interior offensive line. They've allowed a ton of pressure on and the interior. It's going to get even worse, too. I'm, is Jermaine Effetti, he um believe he's on the COVID list, or he's close contact, so he might... Jason Spriggs is on the COVID list, Yeah, too. so he, he was in close contact. He might be out on this one. We are not sure yet, but yeah, with Rashad Coward too, it's. I think he has another game like he <laughs> it did. Could, it could be a dominant game for Jeffrey Simmons. Uh, um, two, three more games we'll mention on the NFL side, and then we'll jump to the Peter Bukowski interview. Giants uh, at Washington football team. Football team favored by three. A lot of first-year and second-year players to watch in this game. I mean, they're both young teams. They're both young, bad football teams. Chase Young going against Andrew Thomas. Andrew Thomas has allowed a higher pressure rate than any offensive tackle in the NFL, has really struggled in his transition to the NFL going against Chase Young, who I believe right now is the highest-graded defensive rookie in the NFL. How do you see this going? I think Chase Young could have a field day against Andrew Thomas, but maybe it's closer than people think. Yeah, I mean, he yeah, he is the highest graded rookie on the on the defense side of the ball by a lot. He was the only one on the defense side of the ball to make our top ten rookies list for this week, and it's kind of been that way. Um, and you're looking at how he fared a few weeks ago. That was one of his better games against the Giants. I think he's going to have a career day. We might see an elite performance out of him just because it, it's just been really bad, mm-hmm. really bad for him. So I, I think Chase Young's going to have a monstrous day. And you know, the, the fact that he's still a top ten graded edge, edge defender despite week three went out early with that injury, came back in week five, did not look the best and had a kind of a poor game there. It's pretty, pretty impressive. Yeah, I mean, surprising no one, Chase Young has been, you know, exceeding expectations for a lot of people, but he's also battled injuries, which I feel like his season could even be better if he was uh, not having that issue. Antonio Gibson, exactly. the rookie running back out of Memphis for Washington, has forced missed tackles at a high rate. I think he's been one of the more productive rookie running backs in the NFL this year. And two second-year players I'll mention, Terry McLaurin, still in his bag, one of the better young route runners in the NFL, has performed really well on a much more short and intermediate uh, target volume. His average depth of target has dropped down a bit. He's shown a little bit more after the catch. I've been impressed with his versatility and how much his game has changed even this year. And Dexter Lawrence, who he's got some of the best tape against the run this year of any defensive tackle in the NFL. Like, I think he is that hoss. They, you know, if we know one thing, I think I saw Arif Hassan of The Athletic tweet this out. There's one thing we know about the New York Giants. They have some nose tackles. They have some defensive tackles that can play ball. I'm pretty sure when I was looking at graphics for the Sunday live show this week, among the five highest graded giants, I think three of them are defensive tackles. Like, and, and, and Dexter Lawrence is right up there. And they're still bad. And they're still bad. Yeah, well, still I mean, bad. defensive tackle, you want to talk positional value. I'll tell you right now, having Leonard Williams, Dexter Lawrence, and Devon Hamilton grading really well for you is not going to lead to a ton of dubs. You need Daniel Jones to throw the football away and not <laughs> not give yeah. up so many picks. I've been kind of impressed with Daniel Jones, though. Just Same. a little bit. And I, and I had this comment in the, the Discord, PFF Discord, which is free for everyone to join. I definitely encourage you to find that and join it. But... Daniel Jones has been surprisingly okay this year. He's made some mistakes. It's been a bit of a roller coaster, but he's been okay. However, I still feel like his concerns are enough to feel good about taking Justin Fields if the Giants are drafting two, which I think there's a good chance they are. It's like Jameis Light. It's Jameis Light. Jameis Light. Uh, speaking of Jameis, Saints versus Bucks. Jameis Winston revenge game. 
It's Ooh. the Jameis Winston revenge game if Drew Brees does get hurt. The name I wanted to bring up here, um, we don't have to spend too much time on this game, Bucks favored by five and a half, is Jamel Dean. I think he got exposed a bit on Monday night. They were going after him on double moves and those types of things, trying to get after Jamel Dean, a guy that's graded well this year. I think he's still playing well above expectation from a pre-draft evaluation standpoint, but you are seeing some of those concerns you saw at Alabama. Overly aggressive. When, he's, when asked to flip his hips, can kind of struggle. Where are you with Jamel Dean? Yeah, I mean, I've seen more good than bad, so I still Absolutely. Think, okay, yeah. of course. That I, sounded really negative, but a yeah, lot of people talk about Throwing him under the bus, putting yeah. him in a body bag there. But no, <laughs> I, I still think he's a top 10 cornerback in the NFL, which is pretty impressive considering he's a third-round pick last year. In his, and in that first game, DK Metcalf, who's yeah, I mean, I just absolutely torched him that game. He was recovered nicely, but yeah, it really was not that great of a game for him against the Giants. 37.8 coverage grade, still only allowed 34 yards in coverage, which granted... For some cornerbacks, that would be a win. That's like, hey, I had, I had a good game there, but he did on a few catches get exposed there. So I'm not putting too much stock into that. I've seen more good games than him uh, from him than bad. So I'm still rolling with Jamel Dean, but also Antoine Winfield. Yeah, I've been kind of impressed with him. You know, it's kind of showed that a lot of teams underrated him in the pre-draft process. I kept waiting for him to go earlier than he did. I was like, there's no way this team can pass on him. No way this team can pass on him. Tampa falls in his laps. Guy's looking like the heat-seeking missile that uh, Mike Renner would love to comp him to in the pre-draft process. <laughs> I mean, Antoine Winfield Jr., the reason he falls, injuries were insane at Minnesota. Yeah. I mean, the guy was what? Like, had like three or you know, two or three injury red shirts. Yeah. And then in addition to that, he's small and not a burner. I mean, you, you, I think it's bad process to take those guys in the first round. I think it's bad process to take those guys in the top 50, regardless of how successful the tape is, the NFL bloodlines, etc. However... Those are the guys you swing the bat on, though, when you get into the second and third round, when you see that production and feel confident in injuries maybe regressing or whatever it may be. Antoine Winfield Jr., I said it uh, a couple days ago, I think, to someone, defensive player, defensive rookie of the year. I think Patrick Queen could get it because he's going to get all the tackles and the easy stats That'd there. But shame. I think Antoine Winfield Jr. is having a higher impact on the wins and higher impact in, in, in Tampa Bay right now. I think he's playing lights-out football. Last game, uh, this is the Monday night game, an absolute barn burner i'm sure it's going to be super exciting everyone's going to be interested new england patriots are going against the, the new york jets uh jets only seven point dogs at home against the patriots two names we'll bring up quinn williams who i think has had an out, outstanding year relative to the expectation this year he's bounced back from what was a underwhelming rookie year battled injuries as well and he might see our guy Michael Nwenu, the highest-graded uh, rookie in all of football and one of the highest-graded offensive linemen. If he plays tackle again, which I think there is a chance he does, you won't see a ton of Quinnen Williams. But if he gets kicked back inside, we could see the big man go against Quinnen. Yeah, that's going to be an exciting one. I, I kind of think the Jets might win this one. Whoa! I think they might. You I, think the Jets might win? Talk to me how. I, 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 so you heard Bill Belichick's comments. There's part of me that thinks... They might. You're talking about tanking. You know the Niners. I I don't know anyone saying like well, I don't understand why anyone would say the Niners should tank. I think they're better than that. But the Patriots, on the other hand, they're kind of in a prime position here. If they lose this one, they're sitting pretty to get one of those top quarterbacks. And I think Bill Belichick is smart enough to realize that this oh, is a man. hot take. Maybe. Hopefully, we see Michael and Wayne and Quentin Williams. My, my take here though is up. that if the New England Patriots lose this football game. The conspiracy that Bill Belichick threw this game to try and get a better chance at number one overall pick is, I think, would skyrocket. I think people would talk about it. Because oh, yeah. if you're going to lose a game, if you're going to throw a game, throw it against the Jets. Give them a dub. Make it a lot more interesting to get the number one overall pick or either number two overall pick. I'm interested in it. I don't think that that's a crazy thing to say. I don't think Bill Belichick is going into this game going to throw a game. That would be just absurd in I mean, the NFL. I don't NFL. think so either. But I, like, I'm, I, I think the Patriots will win, but I would not be surprised – 
I, I think there's a higher chance the Jets come away with this. How than we bad would that be for the Jets, though? I've said this like be. multiple times. The worst thing the Jets could do right now is win a football game. If you win a football game against the New England Patriots at home to let Bill Belichick enter the conversation for Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields, that is otherworldly bad. Like that is so bad for you and the future of you in the division. I I, I really don't hope that's the case. I think the New York Jets. Well, I don't mistake, either. But, I, I think but, the Jets for their for that fan base's sake, they need to lose this game. Because I could not even imagine being a Jets fan. Right now. It's such an. I, I think. I mean, this is. A, it's an interesting conversation. I, I, I would be really surprised the New England Patriots lose this game. But if they lose this game, I think it would ultimately be better for their chances at grabbing a quarterback and terrible, terrible for the New York Jets. We'll finish on that. Jets winning, being terrible. Um, Tony, always good, always good stuff to have you on the podcast. We're not going to end right here. We are kicking to Peter Bukowski, an interview with him, a guy who covers the Packers on Locked On Pod, uh, Locked On Packers. We talk Will Fuller, the trade that didn't happen. Talk Rashawn Gary a little bit, Jair Alexander, um, Josh Jackson, uh, the development there, Gutekunst's decision in um, April's draft. A lot of fun stuff. Um, uh, let's jump to the interview. PFF and Sunday Night Football's Chris Collinsworth is teaming up with one of the best players on and off the field, 49ers All-Pro cornerback Richard Sherman. The Chris Collinsworth podcast featuring Richard Sherman is available now wherever you find your podcasts. They will provide the most interesting football conversation in sports every single week, and sometimes that means the discussion will venture off the field too. Additionally, Chris will be taking a deep dive into the game of football as he sees it, inviting the best and brightest to talk about everything that is happening in the great game of football. Mark your calendars. You do not want to miss the best 60 minutes of insight this season. MooseFit is a premium online workout program and remote coaching service that provides you with daily workouts based on your goals, the time you have available, and the equipment you have at your disposal. Purchase your MooseFit membership and a MooseFit coach will reach out to you with a questionnaire. Based on the information provided in the questionnaire, your MooseFit coach will either assign a pre-made program to you or will create a custom program for you. No two programs are the same. MooseFit is well-equipped to help provide you with daily workouts that will help you reach reach your health and fitness goals. For PFF listeners, use code PFF50 and receive 50% off your first month. For more information, check them out on Instagram at MooseFit or on their website, www.moosefit.co.com.co. In these uncertain times, life is full of questions. Like, when should I start thinking about life insurance? But however difficult these questions may be, Western Southern can help you answer them. Backed by over 130 years of experience, together we can look ahead to leave the unknown behind. Western Southern Financial Group, life insurance, retirement, and investments. Compensated endorser, products issued by member companies of Western Southern Financial Group, Cincinnati, Ohio. Joining the 2 for 1 Drafts podcast is Peter Bukowski here with uh, me and Anthony Tresh on 2 for 1 Drafts. This we're recording right now, 24 minutes outside of the trade deadline. <laughs> and I'm glad to have you on, man, because you obviously cover the Packers there with Locked On, among others. <clears throat> Excuse me, but Will Fuller, it was a done deal. I thought I heard it was a done deal on Monday. Now it's a little bit shakier. What is going on with Will Fuller right now? I think that's where we have to open, Peter. Yeah, and of course, by the time you know this goes out, we'll we'll know if he was moved or wasn't moved. But I had also heard that this was something uh, not I don't know about done, but uh, agreed to in principle. Like there there are some some different ways that of course you can phrase it, and and whether it was the Packers or the Texans, um, you know, again, I don't I don't have it solidly enough to report it, so I don't want to speculate. But uh, clearly, Green Bay wanted to make a move. They called on Zach Ertz. Um, and they, they wanted to make a splash in the draft. They have, they have this weird idea though, that if they can't get someone who really moves the needle, 
then they're sort of just fine to stand pat. And I, I know a lot of Packer fans don't agree with that. I don't agree with that because we've seen enough from guys like Darius Shepard and Malik Taylor and even Marquez Valdez-Scantling to, to know that those guys just aren't good enough. And sometimes in a Super Bowl or in an NFC Championship game, you need that receiver three to come up for three catches for 65 yards in a big spot. And all of a sudden, that's the difference between beating the Seahawks or the Bucks. I agree. And I think there's an opportunity potentially that we react to a trade or a no trade in real time. But because this is coming out, I think, Wednesday night or Thursday morning, let's react to right now. What would Will Fuller mean for this Green Bay Packers offense? If he was traded for, what would he mean for this offense? How much does this make Aaron Rodgers and company better in 2020? Yeah, I was actually, I know that uh, PFF Mike is not here, but but I was talking to Mike uh, off off the air about it. Um, and it's just such a perfect fit in terms of what Green Bay needs. The, the geometry of their offense just works so much better with someone like Will Fuller. And it doesn't have to be Will Fuller. Hell, it could be Kenny Stills. It could be, you know, that's, this is why the Packer fans were so hot and bothered for John Ross. Someone with speed who can open up the middle of the field, not just for Devontae Adams or, um, you know, Alan Lazard when he gets back healthy, but now all of a sudden the tight ends are starting to make plays. Jay Sternberger, we saw against the Vikings, you know, has some juice down the field. And actually, um, this was from Ian Hartzitz. Uh, if you look at most yards per target this year with at least 25 targets, Robert Tanyan is fifth on that list. Um, behind guys like Justin Jefferson, McCole Hardman, <laughs> uh, Julio Jones, and Real DK Metcalf. Speedsters. Ahead of Chase Claypool. Ahead of Chase Claypool. I mean, that's wild. So they have some of these other players. If you get someone who is a legitimate threat down the field, it fundamentally shot plays. They want to be able to go hard play action and take shots down the field. And they just don't trust Marquez Valdez-Scantling to be that guy. You know, for me, like I think right now the Packers are a clear tier below Tampa Bay and Seattle. But adding Will Fuller, I think they're in the Super Bowl conversation. I think they could be viewed as the favorites to come out of the NFC. I mean, that's just me. But I think that's how much I mean, I'd be willing to give up a a good amount a good haul for him because I think he gives you the best chance to win this season and I think too Bucky Brooks has said this before and I'm huge on board with this is build your receiving core like a basketball team you have to have different guys that can do different skill sets like similar to what the Buffalo Bills have done with Cole Beasley Stephon Diggs and John Brown guys that can threaten downfield pure route runners and underneath stick movers and I think the Green Bay Packers they don't have a basketball team at all I mean there's one guy it is one guy that is excelling there in Green Bay obviously Devontae Adams they're adding a piece like Will Fuller the Houston Rockets, exactly. <laughs> Adding a piece like Will Fuller makes this closer to a basketball team. You have Devontae Adams, who is a stick mover, a pure route runner, and then you add Will Fuller, who has made Deshaun Watson a lot better. You look at EPA splits for Deshaun Watson with Will Fuller and without Will Fuller on the football field, it's completely different. It stretches the defense out, does yep. a ton of different things. I want to stay on the wide receiver conversation a little bit and talk specifically about the draft. April's draft, everyone said Green Bay needs to attack the wide receiver position. Did you see <laughs> Green Bay... Their, their clear-cut p- position of need the, be the wide receiver position, or were you thinking other things? Because I think everyone wanted Green Bay to take a receiver. Even Aaron Rodgers admitted that he was hoping to get some help there. Was that the clear-cut need for them, or did we overlook that? So I've argued with a lot of people about this, about the word need. I don't like the word need. I don't think Green Bay needed a receiver. You mm-hmm. think about how good the Saints offense was last year with Michael Thomas, Alvin Kamara, and Drew Brees. 
if you think Aaron Jones is really good, and I do, and you think Devontae Adams is really good, and and by your grading, he's the best receiver in football this year, and you think Aaron Rodgers is really good, by the way, the second highest graded quarterback in the league this year, then that's a pretty good offense, right? So do they did they need someone else? No, but I think of need in terms of the player who can most impact your team. That's the guy that I want to take. And it's not just in year one. It's over the course of their rookie contract and, and potentially beyond. When I looked at this team, receiver was that position because of the receiver's value and, and what they can create. I mean, you guys have done a lot of work on war and, and the value of receivers. I think, you know, when if, if someone like a Brandon Ayuk, who we're just seeing now, is a baller, had been available, he is a no-brainer. What happened is things got a little out of whack for Green Bay, and they made no secret about it. They wanted to take a receiver. They wanted to make an addition, but they felt like if it wasn't one of those top guys that they were content to roll with their developmental guys, Darius Shepard, MBS, and Equinemius St. Brown, who we haven't mentioned here yet and, and who is dealing with the knee injury and so hasn't really had many opportunities on the field so far and what opportunities he's had, he's dropped, basically. Uh, they went into the draft and their, their top tier, according to them anyway, just went. They disappeared. If you, if you read the tea leaves, San Francisco jumped Green Bay to draft Brandon Ayuk. I think those are the last two players in their tier. They really liked Brandon Ayuk and they really liked Jordan Love. And by the way, they really like Jordan Love. Whatever anyone <laughs> says about Jordan Love, that's their evaluation. That's fine. Green Bay loved this kid and still loves this kid. And in the second, I think things just broke for them a little weird. Brian Gutekinds told Peter King they had another group of guys in, the, in a tier below that they were hoping to get up for. And once the last guy in that tier went, they just sort of felt like, all the rest of these guys are really dice rolls and we feel like we have enough dice rolls on our team, whether or not that was a smart decision is a separate thing, but that was their, um, their thought process. And, and the two names that I think you can point to in terms of that next tier, Michael Pittman and Chase Claypool. Those are the guys that I, I think they had their eyes on. Um, and once they go, then green because green bay could have moved up to take denzel mims if they wanted to they could have moved up to take van jefferson if they wanted to they didn't so i i think they felt like that was where the cutoff was and so then they attacked these other positions of supposed need i think there's plenty of questions to be asked about positional value in terms of how they address day two but that's their thinking uh in terms of what they felt like would most benefit their team so looking ahead at next year's draft class, the 2021, it, it might even be better than this past year's in, you know, let's say hypothetically Green Bay, they fall short, you know, they don't make the NFC championship game. Um, and it kind of looks like they're a one wide receiver short or away. Do you think that they, they will, you know, automatically that first pick come next April, take a wide receiver and commit to that? You know, I, I think it's going to depend on a lot of factors. What does that look like? Um, you know, what happens in the NFC championship game or the divisional game or whenever they ultimately lose? I mean, um, the Green Bay is not going to overreact to that, um, but I, I think it matters in a number of different ways. You think about what happened in the NFC championship game. Green Bay gets steamrolled by Raheem Mostert and Kyle Shanahan. They didn't take a linebacker until the fifth round. They didn't <laughs> take a defensive lineman. They did not say we need to beat 
the 49ers, which I think is smart because, by the way, if the Packers do beat the B-team 49ers on Thursday, their season is hanging by a thread given their record and their their upcoming schedule. I don't know if you guys have looked at their upcoming schedule, but it's brutal. And 9-7 and seven with their injuries would be a great finish. So I, I, I think Green Bay, you know, they could help themselves in that way. If they, if they finish the season losing 35 to 42 against the Seahawks, are they going to feel like they were one receiver short? Maybe, maybe not. Um, they have, they have some questions at other positions because they don't have a long-term right tackle. What's the future of David Bakhtiari? What are they going to do with Kevin King? Is Josh Jackson playing well enough to, for him to be the future there? And if he is, do they have a third guy behind you know, uh, on the boundary anyways, could our home in that guy, or do they need to get a cornerback? And then what do they do with the outside linebackers? What do they do at safety? Adrian Amos could be a cap casualty. Preston Smith could be a cap casualty. Billy Turner could be a cap casualty. I mean, there, there's a lot of flux. If anything, that's another reason for the Packers to say, let's go try and make this work. I agree. I think it's all, it's always too early to identify need. And I think you brought up a good point there too, in that it's hard to call it a need when you're as good as Green Bay Packers. I don't think it was a clear cut need. And I also think, I also hate, and Steve Palazzolo has said this, everyone has kind of said this at PFF. I hate drafting for need in any draft. It, it yeah. rarely pans out. You know, the, you know, New York Giants drafted for need at tackle and Andrew Thomas is like one of the worst tackles in the NFL right now. Oftentimes you don't see rookie offensive linemen pan out early. Would they have been better off attacking a wide receiver to add to that unit? Who knows? I think drafting for need more often than not, does not result in positive results there. I want to pivot off the receiver conversation. It's easy to talk Will Fuller all day, and we're reacting to this live. If Will Fuller gets traded, we're going to get on that. But I want to talk Rashawn Gary, a guy that you know PFF wasn't you know really high on compared to some of the other draft analysts when he was coming out. Now in his second year with Green Bay, how do you feel Rashawn Gary is developing there? And what do you think the front office's opinion and the coach's opinion of Rashawn Gary's development is right now? All of those are very different. So I think we have to keep that in mind. The Packers, they loved Rashawn Gary starting very early in the process. Starting at the Combine, they they zeroed in on him as their guy. And, and I don't think it was just the workout. Outside linebackers coach Mike Smith, who worked with D Ford um, in, in uh, Kansas City, said that Rashawn Gary was the best edge rusher in the draft as a prospect. Remember who else was in that draft? Yes. Nick Bosa, <laughs> Brian Burns, Montez Sweat. I mean, a lot of really good players, and they liked Rashawn Gary the best. At least Mike Smith did. Um, part of that is is Mike Patton likes big edge players. So I think that sort of you know took Brian Burns out of the equation a little bit, an undersized uh, outside linebacker, even though I, I think in terms of diversity of skill set, we talked about trying to create a basketball team. He kind of would have been the perfect complement to someone like Zedaria Smith and Kenny Clark and those guys. But uh, he was a, an inconsistent player as a rookie, and that's putting it mildly. Um, he would, you know, overrun the quarterback. He didn't show a lot of flexibility or looseness. He was a hustle player, which is great because you need hustle players. And he was, as he was at Michigan, a good run defender. This year, he, he lost some weight in the offseason. He claims he's the same size, so he slimmed down, let's say. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he said he was doing a lot of uh, stairs and cardio, so he's leaned up. The only person in quarantine to do that. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's shown up on the field. He looks more explosive. He looks twitchier. He's got a little better pass rush plan. 
um, against the Texans a couple times. He showed a nice long arm, a little bit more bend around the corner than we are used to seeing from him. So there is development there. I think, you know, when you, when you look at someone, um, I, I had someone around the league compare him to, to um, why can't I think of his name? Oh, my goodness. Um, Cam Jordan, sorry, mm-hmm. uh, with New Orleans. And I could see his face. I'm just like, what? Um, and Cam Jordan took a little bit of time. He was a good run defender early and developed into a, a really disruptive pass rusher. For the first month of the year, though, Rashawn Gary was Green Bay's best pass rusher. He was outplaying Preston Smith. And Zadarius Smith was, I would say, a less consistent down-to-down player than Gary was. Um, you know, Gary was not great on on Sunday against the Vikings. And I, I still think has plenty of room to grow from a, a polished standpoint. But someone with his physical tools, I mean, it is not hyperbole to say one of the most singularly physically gifted players to ever come into the league. Um, his speed score is not like boggles math. Um, so same with his relative athlete score. So it's one of those things where they're banking on upside and coaching to maximize his potential, whether or not he can actually get to that ceiling, of course, is is still yet to be written. Um, if, if you're putting together a blueprint, Josh Sweat, I think is a good blueprint. He, it took him a little bit. Year three, all of a sudden now we're seeing him start to really play well. Um, you know, he came into the league as a 21-year-old raw prospect. Rashawn Gary came into the league as a 21-year-old raw prospect. They're banking on talent there. I mean, that's kind of been, you know, Gutekunst's MO of late, too, with drafting players. I mean, he's drafted a lot of guys that have a ton of talent, a ton of physical tools. You could even apply that same uh, methodology to Jordan Love in the first round. And I think in the secondary as well, and this is where I want to kind of get to, Jair Alexander is obviously a stud. But they've also invested in other picks in the secondary, some young players there, Josh Jackson, Kevin King, Darnell Savage, all in of themselves have good tools. Darnell Savage had one of the best, you know, 10 yard splits at the safety position we saw in that class. And I think development is so much more important when evaluating players or when looking at the drafts and looking at prospects than even the evaluation part, because I think evaluation is almost overrated. It is not necessarily difficult in my opinion to evaluate the best athletes, the best prospects in the class, especially with all the data you have available, film made available, consensus sports, et cetera. The difficult part, is developing this talent and developing mm-hmm. Rashawn Gary, developing Josh Jackson, Alexander, Jordan Love, and being the prospects they can be down the road. What has your opinion been of the development process for Green Bay for those young defensive backs I speak to? Obviously, Jair Alexander panning out of late. I think he's PFF's highest-graded cornerback right now, but Josh Jackson there, Donald Savage, Kevin King, etc. I think one of the reasons why Jerry Gray is now the DB's coach in Green Bay um, is because the, Green Bay was not satisfied with the coaching that was being done there. And the the Packers DBs rave about Jerry Gray, formerly uh, in Minnesota, obviously helped Harrison Smith and Anthony Harris become all-world players. Um, and, and you know, did I would say did some good work with Xavier Rhodes, although the rest of the, the talent there never really um, panned out. In terms of development, you know, Jair Alexander came in with the right attitude and and this is what you talk about. And, and this is Mike Smith, the outside linebackers coach insists Rashawn Gary works harder than anyone on their team. And they, they said on the field, he's got a mentality like a rattlesnake and that those two combinations prove that he will not fail. And so it's not just coaching that makes development possible. It is how bad do you want to be great? 
And I think that's something that we do miss in evaluations because it's hard to quantify. It's hard to figure out. Even if you talk to a guy, you can, it's not hard to be trained to say the right things, right? That's what agents are for. That's what managers are for. That's what coaches are for. We know what players are supposed to say in those moments to really know is hard. Jair Alexander is a dog and we know that he is a dog. I think Sunday showed a little bit for the Packers. We don't know how many more dogs they have on that team. And so how bad do you want to be great? That is a, a, a something that, you know, you want to see a little bit more edge in Darnell Savage. You saw it at Maryland. He was a heat seeking missile at Maryland and whether it's scheme, whether it's, you know, confidence, whether it's injury, he hasn't been that guy um, in 2020, the way that we saw early in 2019, he's also had some injuries. So that's hurt him a little bit. Uh, the development of of some of the young talent has been better than others. I think I think it's been a mixed bag. I mean, you look at Elton Jenkins; he was just ready to go. How much credit does Adam Stenovich, the offensive line coach, get for Elton Jenkins when he came in from day one and just looked great? I don't know. Is that a GM making a great pick? Is that you know a coach having you know the the right scheme for him? I think these things can be difficult to parse. Um, but there is also a reason why Mike Patton is on the hot seat in Green Bay, and it's because there is a lot of talent on this defense, and they're not performing to that talent. That's a very good point. I mean, you're, you're getting ready to have me run through this brick wall over here. How great do I want to be great? <laughs> um, but, yeah, that's a very good point with Darnell Savage. I mean, last year, 77.4 coverage grade. This year, 53.7. I mean, it's a pretty steep drop-off. I mean, Jair Alexander, if we did a redraft, he's the number one cornerback off the board, in my opinion. So I, I do think that is a very good point with uh you know the developmental developmental pieces versus you know how much how badly do you want to be great because that, that, that's a very uh subjective measure you it's a, i mean you can't if, quantify if it. mike renner was on this interview right now he'd be laughing because i talk about that all the time i talk about how important the interview process is for these prospects because i'm always one on this pod that's pushing to interview some of these guys and talk to them about you know their preparation process what you know their diet and stuff like that because you talk to when i talked to brian burns coming out of florida state and you talked about how often this guy's working and how often he's watching tape you can tell from players how much they want to be great and i think you can get that from certain players and you can get the opposite from other players you've had some some opposite interviews as well so i think there's a big reason why too when you talk to other draft evaluators talk to daniel jeremiah uh mayock all these guys they say the combine is really important for the freaking interviews talking mm-hmm. to these players is so important getting an idea of you know how they're approaching things their preparation their commitment how much film they're watching all that stuff i think is super important let's close can i ask oh, you a question ahead, i yes. just i just want to throw this question at you guys Let's say Jair Alexander is the guy that we've seen so far. And we redrafted at the end of this season. And starting in 2021 and beyond, you could have Jair Alexander or Derwin James. Because that was the choice Green Bay had to make. And they traded mm-hmm. out of that spot. The, the Chargers ended up taking Derwin James two spots later. Green Bay trades back up for Jair Alexander. I would take Jair Alexander, I think. And I think I would take Jair Alexander, one, plays a more valuable position. And two, I think we've seen more from him, more where I feel like I feel confident in him affecting the valuable parts of the game, winning valuable routes downfield, sticking with receivers, playing shadow coverage on the outside is honestly the hardest task in the NFL right now. Playing shadow coverage at outside corner is difficult. Marshawn Lattimore is struggling. Stephon Gilmore is struggling. These guys that are you know in the past have been good. Jair Alexander proving that. Even Tredavious White 
compared to previous years is struggling this year. I, I think I would take Jair over Derwin. Tony, where are you heading on that question? Yeah, 10 times out of 10, Jair. Over wow, 10 times out of 10. 10 times out of 10. It, I mean, it, it's the valuable position. That, as you said, that's what matters the most on the defensive side of the ball. And plus, I mean, the injury history, too. You, like you said, yeah. we've seen more from Jair, Jair Alexander to know what we will probably get. You know, there's probably get, there's some volatility in cornerback play, so he's probably not always going to be great. We've seen that with Stephon Gilmore this year. But I, I'm more confident Jair Alexander than I am Derwin James moving forward. I think they both have the same amount of dog in them, though. No one's debating that. I think they're both dogs oh, yeah. and swag off the charts. I wanted to finish with this and I, because – this is going to be a conversation sooner enough. It's not being talked about now because everyone and their mother wants to talk about Will Fuller. And as we're recording this, there's three minutes, three minutes to the deadline here. But I have to bring up, I know you said earlier in the, in the interview that you're, you're a big fan of Aaron Jones. He's a good football player. Do the Green Bay Packers pay market value for Aaron Jones? Do they back up the proverbial Brinks truck and pay the running back Aaron Jones as much as he'll likely call for, as he'll ask for on the open market this offseason? Oh, I hate this question. Um, and I, just, I hate it because <laughs> so it's everyone, hard. So does everyone, right? No, no, I hate it because it's hard. It's so tough. Uh, and you know they're consternating over it at 1265 Lombardi Ave, too. I mean, it's it's something that I, I think is really difficult. If for no other reason, then, you know, I, I think there is intangible benefits in rewarding good players uh, for your locker room's sake, rewarding popular players. Yep. And you, you don't want your whole locker room to be thinking, well, it doesn't matter what I do. Green Bay's not going to extend me. And Russ Ball, who handles the money for Green Bay's front office, is already not popular in the league with players or agents because they have a price. And if you're not going to meet it, bye. And they, they did it with Micah Hyde. They didn't even offer Micah Hyde a contract. They just said, you know what? Nah. We're good, man. <laughs> and that's a bummer. And and I actually, I blame Dom Capers for that one, not Ted Thompson and Russ Ball, because Dom Capers had no idea that Micah Hyde was the best safety on his team and it wasn't Ha Clinton Dix. I blame Dom Capers for that. Um, and I, I guess I need to know what the what the rest of the, the salary cap looks like. If it's that floor that we're talking about, that whatever it is, that 170s number, it becomes really tough. I, eh, anything over 10 is is hard for me um oh he's gonna ask for more than 10 my friend i know he i know he <laughs> is I, I don't think he is going to ask for the 16 the christian caffrey number um dalvin cook you know he was right, what closer to 14 mm -hmm. I, I think that's probably where he will want to be the packers will want to be more like 10 maybe they meet in the middle and get to 12 i don't know that that's a terrible deal. You can tell that this is tough for me, guys. Um, yes. That, I don't know that that's a terrible, terrible, terrible deal the way that like the Ezekiel Elliott deal was, but it it's tough. It's It seems like we're not going to get a trade. So just uh, I, we haven't gotten any official word yet that there's no deal, but we haven't heard anything. Maybe the silence yeah. from the newsbreakers means something's happening. Yeah, it's 4 o'clock Eastern right now. Trade deadline's hitting. No official news on Will Fuller. But to close the segment here with you, Peter, to comment on the Aaron Jones conversation, it's really tough. I, I think there's a chance they meet in the middle between 10, 11, 12. But bottom line is I think it's, I just don't know if I understand the value of paying him that much money. However, I talked to Solomon Wilcox, who's a colleague here at PFF, and I think when the Christian McCaffrey news broke, he had a very good rationale for it that – didn't push me completely off of never pay running backs, but it, it pushed me in a different direction in that when you have a guy as popular as Aaron Jones is or as Christian McCaffrey is in your locker room and for your fan base, 
it's easier as a front office to feel confident paying him that much money, regardless of positional value. And I, I swayed a little bit. I swayed a little bit. I don't know if I'm still on. I don't know if I can sway all the way. But I think Aaron Jones is that type of player. Not only is he productive, very good at the position, but you could call him a fan favorite. You could call him a team favorite even yep. in that he is he's driving those kind of intangible effects, immeasurable effects off the field and in the locker room. So it'll be interesting to see. I, I'm, I'm excited at how you took that question. Sit on a fence, my friend. No one wants to touch that thing. But, Peter, we'll have to get you back on the podcast. <laughs> again hopefully with mike fully recovered here but uh thanks again man uh before we jump off where can people find your work um easiest way follow me on twitter uh peter underscore bukowski by the way ian rapaport saying will fuller won't be traded uh couldn't agree on value um so it's done done uh yeah peter underscore bukowski on twitter um i write for acme packing company packer report uh and you can subscribe to locked on packers uh wherever you find podcasts the number one packers podcast on the internet Awesome stuff from Peter Bukowski. Make sure to follow him on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. That's B-U-K-O-W-S-K-I. Also writes for SB Nation and has the Locked On Packers podcast. Definitely encourage you guys to check him out. Until next time, remember, rate, review, and subscribe to Two Foreign Drafts. It keeps food on the table, beers in the fridge for Mike Renner, hopefully a guy who's recovering from COVID-19. Until next time, Austin Gale, Anthony Trash, Two Foreign Drafts.